Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Tim Wright, also called Cold Storage. It's for the game Pacer, which is an anti-gravity racing game with elements of combat. The game Pacer is a spiritual successor to the Wipeout series, which started in the mid-90s, and Tim wrote the music for three of the Wipeout games. So here's Tim talking about the evolution and creation of Pacer, which actually started out with a different name. you may be aware that it actually wasn't Pacer. So it was Formula Fusion. Um, yeah. Yeah, back in 2015, wow, I think. Um, and I just got a call out of the blue from uh, a guy called Andy wanting to know if I would contribute uh, a track to this new game that they were doing. Um, very, very heavily influenced by Wipeout and also featuring um, uh, you know, a couple of guys that had previously worked on an iteration of Wipeout and potentially uh, Designers Republic as well. So I thought, well, if, you know, if they're involved and there's a few other guys involved, then uh, I should definitely, definitely say yes. Um, so yeah, there was a bit of an agreement. I provided a track for within, I don't know, like a couple of months or so. And there was another guy that I was, I wouldn't say friends with, acquaintances, a guy called DubFX. Um, I admire his work. He's, uh, he's, his, his sort of origins come from sort of beatboxing in the street, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, you yeah. Know, and uh, yeah, anyway, so I thought, well, if, if he's involved, that'd be great. And I think um, at one stage it was even mooted that we would do a live performance together. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, unfortunately, that didn't come off. I, I contributed a track, um, and then I don't think it was quite what what they were looking for. So I did another one, and he said, "Yeah, that's that's spot on." And that was kind of that was it, really. Um, and then a few years went by, and uh, I had noticed that it had sort of come out in some kind of like beta form. And um, anyway, yeah, suddenly it's called Pacer. There's a new uh, a new kind of team taking care of it. And, um, yeah, a guy called John contacted me and said, uh, I hope you enjoyed sort of getting involved initially, uh, but we'd like a lot more content from you. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, okay. Um, again, there was a sort of a deal hashed out, and they wanted me really sort of deeply involved, um, uh, not only just with the music, but also with the sound effects. And um, a couple of little shorter stings, little, you know, sort of melodies for um, when you get a certain medal and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, yeah, that, that's, that's great. So they, they had me on board. They had a guy called Stafford uh, Baller, and um, he was in charge of the sound effects and getting them in the game. And I provided, you know, the source material, a few demo videos, some guidelines on how I would approach the the engine sounds. Um, And then bit by bit, uh, I think I contributed something like seven, seven or eight tracks, and then the little stings as well.
point uh, were you aware that it was, I mean, because it seems like it's considered a spiritual successor to the Wipeout series, which you worked on for a lot. So yeah. uh, at what point did you make that connection right away when you saw the game you were writing for? Or how did that come out in, in all of those years that, that went by? There's been quite a few, actually, um, sort of anti-gravity racing games um, since Wipeout. Um, or should I say, kind of while Wipeout was was uh, sort of the last couple of iterations were coming out, um, the rumors were that there would be no more. So people started doing some indie development. Um, and there was one called Slipstream, which I contributed a track to, and uh, a couple of other sort of hobbyist projects. Uh, I'd usually get the knock on the door. Hey, will you do some music for my anti-gravity game? <laughs> so, 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 yeah. Um, which isn't a bad thing, you know. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's all uh, it, it's all work. It's all good fun. Yeah. So, the initial contact when it was Formula Fusion, it was made very clear to me that it was the kind of spiritual successor. That that mm -hmm. that's the vibe they were going for. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I think the last one prior to that I uh, contributed music towards was, um, uh, what was it, Sodium 2 in PlayStation Home. Um, wow. But that was more sort of gritty looking and, um, yeah, but I mean, still a, still a pretty good game. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, but this was meant to be Wipeout, but not in name kind of thing. But when I saw it, if you compare that this with Wipeout, it's... It's not really. Um, just to qualify that, um, I know Ian from Designers Republic, his approach for this, because he was involved, um, was a slightly different one to wipe out. He wanted to do, sort of tackle it with fresh eyes, but still have that kind of DR feel um, to the graphics. So you look at it and you go, yeah, that's look, that looks like Designers Republic have been involved, um, but not to be... Um, you know, wipe out hash 15 or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, even though there are similarities. And, um, yeah, it, it, it has a flavor all of its own. And that's something that was very, actually, I was going to say concerned, but almost worried about. So when my involvement got a bit deeper, I thought, okay, um, what I want to do here is is produce music that people will hear and, you know, if they've heard some of my stuff, they'll go, oh, yeah, that's, that's Tim, that's cold storage. Oh, hang on a minute. It's kind of futuristic and spacey and whatever, and it's got that thing that he does. And, and I don't even know what that is, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you know what I mean? They, they kind of yeah. go, oh, I know your music. And I'll go, do you? Because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but they wouldn't say, yeah, it's sort of wipeouty, but not really. That was, mm -hmm. that was in my heart, that's what I was aiming for. Yeah. Um, and I think I managed that. It's, um, if anything, you would say maybe it's an evolution of that style. So, yeah. I th Definitely. I think that answers what, your question. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, listening to the, the old wipeout music, which I, I just lo I love... 90s electronic music so much. I mean, I, I grew up in the 80s. I th I'm just a, not that much younger than you. So, I mean, I, yeah. I, I have that just love for that, all of that. And, and I hear that in this uh, new music, but also, like you say, it's definitely different. So can you talk about some of those differences 
I know you can't maybe describe what makes your music you, but can you um, kind of talk about maybe some of the things that you know you were trying to make different between uh, the two styles? I guess when you look back at the music I've written for the Wipeout series, certainly for Wipeout 1, it was very, um, very rudimentary, kind of written in a, in a sense of panic, very <laughs> uh, naive in certain respects. And yeah, I think I've probably mentioned this on occasion in the past, um, but I definitely feel it for sure now. Um, I think a lot of what made the original Wipeout music uh, what it was, was, yeah, definitely a sense of fear. So I'm writing music for a game that seems to be uh, definitely very different. Psygnosis, um, we're approaching, license, yeah, you know, genuine acts, techno and, and trance and so on, uh, acts that had a history um, and they wanted a definite flavor. So from my perspective, I was either going to be contributing the bulk of the music, or if all these deals went well, maybe just one or two tracks, which wasn't quite as scary. Yeah. Because um, prior to that, it was all just, here's a, here's a new game. This is kind of roughly where we think we should go musically. Uh, we want all the music, all the sound effects. Here's your deadline. Go for it. Um, yeah. You know, keep us, keep us posted, give us some demos and so on. And you just have to have confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to hit this style that they're after. And if you, if you don't, at least you're presenting them with an option that they like. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, you probably you know in-house musician back in the day, orchestral, uh, blues, um, rock. Yeah, basically, they could just come to you and say, write this style now, do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, but there was no real yardstick. But with this, it was definitely a case of, well, we're, we're listening to Chemical Brothers and Leftfield and Orbital and... Um, a whole host of other acts. Your music has to be as good as them, and uh, really, you know, fit fit in. So no pressure. Away you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the, the biggest confession is I actually hated that style of music. Um, <laughs> techno trance, the, you know, the kind of music where it's just four on the floor for ten minutes, and someone changes the low pass filter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on a bass line with yeah. the occasional sim- symbol and maybe somebody just going, um, <laughs> I, I like you. I'm a, I'm a kid of the '80s. Um, that's where my heart was. Admittedly, with electronic stuff, so Jean Vangelis, Howard Jones, Nick Kershaw, mm-hmm. uh, Depeche Mode, yeah. Yaz, as, as I think they were called in the states, uh, Vince Clark's band, uh, Yazoo in the UK. Um, yeah, so I, I beneath that kind of, I wouldn't say I hated it per se, but just had no, um, I, I got no joy from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the sort of acid house and trance and techno kind of world, uh, whereas my brother did. He was mm. a big fan. Um, so yeah, so that was my starting point. And uh, I'd just come off a game where I, would, I was writing uh, sort of ambient and industrial stuff, kind of, I guess, treading on the toes a little bit of Nine Inch Nails, that, you know, Trent Reznor, that kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really know what I was doing there, just experimenting, you know. Um, 
So the first track I composed was a bit in that style and wasn't suitable. Um, and then I thought, okay, what, what can I do to accelerate this? So um, at that time, sample CDs were like getting really big. So in all the music magazines that I get, you know, there was um, all these different uh, East, West, Time and Space, all these providers. And so I thought, okay, let's let's uh, invest in a few of these um, sample CDs. <laughs> and the two that really did it for me was Time and Space Volume 1 and 2. Um, okay. Which you can't get now. I mean, they're horribly copyright infringing. <laughs> and No, I mean, they're a disaster, which is why I think they were taken off the market. Oh, wow. And yeah, but it, it, they, <laughs> their use was a ubiquitous. So yeah. uh, I think to an extent, maybe a lot of those riffs and drum riffs and stuff are so much in the, the sort of common use now that to go after anybody that wasn't, you know, at the level of the Rolling Stones or something would be kind of fruit, you know, fruitless. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so I wasn't aware, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this at the fact, at the time. Sure. Um, yeah. So I was a, a bit naive from that perspective. I just trusted these people that they knew what they were doing. Um, yeah. So, so I had uh, an Akai S2800 sampler and I just threw a load of interesting beats into there, um, got them all to the same BPM, which meant some were pitched up, some were pitched down. Um, again, the same with a load of bass lines and melodies and so on. I'd just choose a root key and uh, make sure everything sat timing-wise because there was no such thing as, well, there was, but it was very rudimentary, time-stretching. It oh, just sounded sure. awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you'd, it was easy to just change the pitch. Um, and then back in the day, uh, I had quite a bit of outboard gear, so JD-800, uh, Kawai, um yeah, a few Elisis bits and so on. And so they would, well, and, and the Amiga itself that I was using as a sequencer that could play um, four channels of 8-bit scratchy sounds. So there's a few uh, percussion bits in there. And yeah, so, so I set out to write something. Um, and I, I listened to a lot of these guys that, that you know, been recommended to me. And um, yeah, I think it was around about that time I was... I felt like I, I was in a massive playground, lots of toys, and didn't know where to go. So yeah. I, was, I was dragged out to a nightclub by a few of the guys who were convinced that, you know, I'd get it if they, you know, if I went out there and I danced and yeah. uh, soaked up the ambiance. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and they were right. It, I, I was out there, I was dancing, there was no alcohol, no drugs, literally just, you know, keeping hydrated and dancing along to this music, and then I just suddenly got it, something clicked. So from that perspective, I knew kind of what was good and why, why it worked, why people liked this music. Um, and so I went back into the studio and then started lacing some of these beats and bass lines and stuff, but still very nervous, and it shows because those original tracks, they are not atypical, so it's not a case of... Um, bit of DJ flip friendly intro and outro, uh, maybe a couple of breaks, but keep the same bass line and, um, you know, maybe some chord progressions or whatever. It's not like that. It's very, oh my God, let's get the BPM up. It's a racing game for God's sake. This has <laughs> got to be fast. Uh, it's not fast enough. Come on, 157, 164 BPM. Uh, 
this bass line's been playing for four bars. It, it sounds boring. Quick, change it to another one. Um, so there would be like four or five songs fighting for for space within this kind of five minute period. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I, uh, the job was to blend them all together. So I'd literally write a discrete four bars, maybe eight bars, another four bars and eight bars, and then sort of copy and paste them out to about five minutes and go, geez, how do I blend these? Well, they're all in the same key, so that helps. Um, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you listen to those, it's, it's literally that level of Lego uh, and naivety and panic, um, um, also fueled by a ridiculous number of cans of Red Bull, completely unaware <laughs> that they had caffeine in. Um, Hey, these are great. I love these. How many have you had, Tim? How many have you had? I've, well, I've had six. Since when? Since about half an hour ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Tim, when was this in your... in? How old were you at this time? Like, what stage oh, of life were you? So what was this? 96. So, yeah. so I was like 29, 30. And you hadn't been writing electronic music yet? No, uh, it, it really held no interest for me. I'd right. been writing so you just didn't, sort of, yeah. you know, standard computer game music. Uh, by that, I mean uh, four-track uh, mod player kind of stuff, uh -huh. you know, for the Amiga and Mega Drive and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and in my spare time, I was writing, yeah, pretty sort of uh, late 80s, early 90s kind of pop with a couple of bands and, uh, yeah, a few bits of orchestral here and there. Because, um, I mean, when I, people ask me, you know, do you have any uh, musical training? And I guess you'd call it classically trained, as in pianoforte um, up to grade five, which I stopped around about 14, I think, or 15. So I... You know, I understood musical theory to a degree, rudimentary, mm -hmm. um, and I could I could read, um, you know, stave music, you know, stave notation, um, and my actually my musical taste was reasonably broad, um, in the sense that I like j a little bit of jazz, not like crazy uh, experimental, but yeah. Um, kind of people on the fringes of pop that were going off on different directions, like Sting and so on. You know, he was, he was heading off in a kind of a weird way. Yeah. Uh, but still, still enjoying um, kind of 80s electronica, like Human League, um, Kraftwerk. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, Tubular Bells. That was, that was kind of like an interesting track. Nothing as crazy as mu uh, music concrete. Or, you know, nothing on the fringes. And certainly not this new kind of acid house, um, uh, I guess, yeah, trance, techno, house, all that kind of thing. Just, it didn't really set a fire under me. Sure, sure. So then, I mean, it just became this world that you were in for a while. Because how many, or I guess probably in and out of, because you worked on a number of Wipeout games, right? Uh, well, strictly speaking, three. Um, okay. There was Wipeout okay. 1, where I contributed the bulk of the audio. That did really well. 
um, and consequently Wipeout 2097 or XL, I think it was called in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, there was v- a lot of interest um, by, um, you know, proper bands in, in quotes. Um, so it was easier to attract and get a deal. Yeah. And uh, it also, it actually made me feel a bit nervous because I thought, I'm actually going to get any music on this game. So when it was at a stage where it was reasonably playable, I didn't tell anybody, certainly not marketing. I wrote uh, the track called Canada, and my approach there was, okay. So I I was a bit nuts and uh, off my head on caffeine when I did the first one. (laughs) So I'm going to do a track that is the slowest I can make it for a racing game. the exact BPM for Canada but it, it's low I don't I don't think it's 109 maybe it's a bit faster than that. maybe it's like 116 or something wow. but compared to like 150 or whatever yep um, and the, I think one of the influences there was the likes of Chemical Brothers with their big beat sound okay so the idea there is the driving force is like you know you've got that sure really deep kick every um, every bar or every couple of bars so anyway so I composed this track and there was no sense of like four or five songs all fighting for space it was just going to be a main theme um but i would create some tension and it would come in about a, the the main theme would come in about a third of the way through and then drive you to the end anyway got this track took it down to the programmer who one of the lead programmer and i said uh could you just pop this track in the game so i can get a feel as to whether it's going to work and he said yeah sure so popped it in did the build of the game and then he started, you know, flying around the track. And he said, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that works quite well. Hmm. So then I went upstairs and I was working away. And then I came down for lunch. And it just so happened, as I, as I came downstairs, I could see uh, one of the girls from marketing. And she'd come to play the current build. And my music was playing in the background. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was just sheer fluke that I, that I was sort of walking towards the program and she said, whose track's this? And uh, he said, oh, it's, it's Tim's. And she went, wow, oh, it really suits the game. And I thought, oh, thank God. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so then I, I discovered that I would, I would be getting, because uh, there was talk of, of no cold storage um, mm. at one point. So, uh, yeah, I really had to fight for that. And I went up and I, I wrote another one as well, uh, Body in Motion, which, which they quite like.
kind of a fan favorite. I think I'm safe in saying that. Um, so yeah, that, so there was, there was the two on there. And then I worked on a couple of other projects and uh, just around the time that I was working on a game called Tellurian Defense, which really didn't make much of a mark, mm. uh, I decided to go. And I left Psygnosis and set up my own company uh, with my brother, uh, Jester Interactive, and we created all the uh, music creation packages on PlayStation and um, you know MTV Music Generator and uh, mm. also on Game Boy and a few other things. So it was a while before I was officially involved again on another Wipeout project. Um, I think I'm right in saying that there was Wipeout HD and there was a bit of a clamor from my fanboys that I should be involved. But it I, I, either it came about too late, the, the sort of groundswell, or it, they just didn't want to get me involved. So, so I rather cheekily, cheekily wrote a few songs and created an album called Cold Storage HD um, and, and released that with, with, with very much tongue-in-cheek but with the purpose that it would fit the game. you wanted to uh, along with the game so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that worked out quite well and then yeah the, the, the final one that I was officially involved with uh, was Wipeout Pure on the PSP so I was I was asked to get involved with that and um, I just wrote the one track for that Onyx but you know that's uh, again um, seems to be sort of well regarded yeah when it came to then writing music for Pacer um, did you even really need to see builds of the game? I mean, I'm sure you did see those things, but did you kind of were you able to just get a sense for it and and just go? Uh, yes, I, I I really did need to see the game. Uh, it's it's just one of those things you get a vibe. So yeah. what I would do is I'd I'd be composing and I'd have the video just playing on uh, YouTube or Vimeo or wherever they'd sent me mm -hmm. and. Yeah, you do get a sense that sort of some things work and some don't. I know it's a very, very similar proposal. You know, you're flying around um, in an anti-gravity ship and it's fast-paced and there's, there's an element of combat. But I think if you, if you look at the original game, the Wipeout game, so the first two, I would think they're kind of claustrophobic. Um, I mean, there's one or two sections where you can see sort of a, a vista or a bit of open space, but a lot of the tracks are inside a city or in, in a hill, you know, sort of very hilly area. Um, whereas to my mind, Pacer seems, it just feels more open. Now, I mean, that could be down to draw distance, of course, because, you know, the, the first few uh, Wipeout games were on early PlayStation machines. So, yeah. you know, obviously you've got a lot more draw distance. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just the style as well, the, the layout of the, the, the racing tracks. 
So I think that definitely influenced some of the lead lines and how much reverb was going on and, yeah, uh, sort of stereo separation and um, stereo chorus and that kind of thing. In terms of creating a more open sound? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You mentioned that you were classically trained and you took piano and um, studied music that way, but you didn't go to school for that. You you focused more on uh, computer electronics and engineering and in those things, correct? Oh, uh, my my formal education. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I've always had a keen interest in electronics, robotics, um, computing in general, and. Um, I even passed my radio amateur, my radio ham examination when I was 14. Nice. So, yeah, uh, with my cousin, yeah, we were both very keen on it. Um, so yeah, it, it was, music has always been a hobby though. I started writing my first few tunes when I was, you know, as they say, knee high to a grasshopper. Um, so I mean, you know, four or five years old, maybe even younger. And... I've always had a, a an acoustic guitar. I'm not a guitarist and I would never describe myself as such. I can play maybe 10, 11 chords and I can play like a solo. But I I definitely found that that was quite a good instrument to formulate pop songs or I don't know what you call them really. Would they be pop songs? I guess so. Um, yeah, so that was always going on in the background. Uh, I've still got uh, um, scribblings like a A4 sheet where it says, uh, you know, this is this is my ideal studio, and it's something <laughs> like an Atari, Atari ST uh, running what would be the precursor to Pro Tools, whatever it was, um, <laughs> a 24-track tape recorder, drum tracks, Pro tracks. They, they, they were, I forget who made those. There were like six six voice polysynth and a, a DX7, yeah. uh, you know, so it was, it was all in that era. So I always had a mind to that and I wrote music on the VIC-20, the Commodore 64 to a lesser degree. And then the Amiga was like mm-hmm. my dream hobby machine. Uh, so that would be when I was like 20 maybe, but yeah, the, the formal education was electronics and communications engineering. I went from that to developing computer software on mainframes. Um, and it was only after doing that for a good few years uh, that I eventually managed to turn the hobby into something that made enough money um, that, I, that I would eventually be employed full time. So, yeah. Yeah, but was that even the intent to, to be composing music full time or, or did it just kind of happen? Did it just happen that the hobby turned into the career? I wanted to be in a band or a solo act. That was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be Howard Jones. Um, <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that man is... is uh, His path was pretty quick, really, compared to a lot of bands. Um, he was definitely right place, right time, with the talent to do it and the... the the musical, um, you know, the composing skills, um, the eye for me- or an ear, ear for them for a melody, and mm-hmm. that was my dream. I wanted to be uh, Howard Jones or maybe Nick, Nick Kershaw at a push. Uh, 
I've, ne- I've never met Nick, but I have met Howard a few times. He's a really nice, nice guy. Um, <laughs> but, and, and we used to exchange uh, letters back in the day when you actually wow. wrote to somebody on paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was fun. Um, yeah, so that, that that's where I wanted to be. I see. And yeah, I was in a band. I was in kind of like three bands, really. And the final one was really pretty serious. We had a fair bit of gear. Um, it was with a friend of mine, um, Sean, who who really liked the fact that I've mentioned him, Sean Morris. There we go. Um, <laughs> He, he was instrumental in providing, no, pun intended, uh, yeah. in, in providing a core, access to stuff like core game ones and so on, uh, way back when I didn't have the money for that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, like when I was working on Amiga games like Shadow of the Beast and so on, um, a lot of the, the source samples are courtesy of him. Uh, yeah, and, and we, we went through a couple of vocalists, uh, and I did sort of backing vocal. And we did get to the point where we were almost going to, sort of, you know, try for that record deal. But then both of us started to have a fam- make family, have kids, and it all kind of, yeah. I wouldn't say it fell apart. It, we just sort of slowly didn't, if you know what I mean. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But but uh, our output is actually out there. Yeah, it's on it's on Bandcamp, I think. It's just a small kind of six track EP of. But finally, like a few years ago, I thought this needs to be out there. It's cheesy. It's poppy. It's got some reasonable melody to it, but yeah, it's it's definitely of its time. Is it under so, your name on Bandcamp or the band? No, it's under Taylor Morris Wright. I think uh-huh. that's right. Uh, I know it's the three surnames. <laughs> I forget which order <laughs> I put them in. But anyway, yeah, I, I tried to be modest and put mine last. Okay. Um, yeah, no, that's right. I think it's TMW. Yeah, Taylor Morris Wright. So then now you are doing music full time, but also you do a, a lot of I was other just gonna things. Say, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think I quite answered your question. Just a sort of caveat at the end there yeah. was, yes, I, I did fall into it. I just carried on doing what I wanted to do, which was write music anywhere and everywhere. And yeah. because I contributed music to a few demos, the most uh, relevant is Pugs or Pugs in Space, which became a game on the Amiga, the managing director of Cygnosis heard my music on there and said, yeah, yeah, we could use you. And I, and I thought, yeah, he's just saying that to sort of ingratiate me and get a good deal and so on. <laughs> and then promptly said uh, a few weeks later, so are you up for doing some music? And I'm, yeah, well, what did you have in mind? Do you know Shadow of the Beast? <laughs> uh, yes, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to do Shadow of the Beast too? I beg your pardon? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was like mind blown. Uh, of course I said yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this is a, this is a, sorry, I'm going to segue a little. This is an interesting tale about knowing your self-worth. So 
yeah, so I accepted the the gig as it were, and I was put in touch with Reflections, um, Martin Edmondson, and uh, he said, ah, okay, so you're going to be providing the music and the sound effects. Um, you've got X weeks. This is what we're after. And to be honest with him, he was pretty strong on direction. Have you got a Core Gen One? Mm, no. Right? Can you get access? I said, well, my friend's got one. Okay, I'll send you a list of patches that you need to use. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, these will be useful for you because this is the, these are the sounds that David Whitaker used. I mean, feel free to experiment, but this will get you along the in the right direction. Yeah. So, so okay. And he said, anyway, so money, what are we talking? And he'd already outlined how many tracks and so on. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I would do this for free. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then I thought, that doesn't sound good. So I said, oh, spend me one second. So I went next door to my wife and I said, oh my God, he's asking how much. And she said, well, how much have you got to do? So I told her and she said, tell him 800 pounds, which I thought was, you know, good money. So yeah. I, I went back to the phone. Yeah, I just had a, had a look, Martin, 800 pounds. And he goes, yep, that's fine. <laughs> and you immediately know that it's the wrong price. And yeah. He's probably... <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, so here's the brief little sort of knowing yourself worth. So I did that. I was happy to do the music. Uh, it was great fun. Um, lots of little stories I won't go into. And I was paid my 800 pounds and I was, you know, absolutely uh, chuffed, as we say, in the UK. So Fast Wind, Shadow of the Beast 3. Uh, Martin enjoyed working with me. Would like me to do the music for Shadow of the Beast 3. Uh Blah, 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 similar number of tracks, sound effects, 800 pounds. I went, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> and he, he said, I beg your pardon. I said, yeah, well, that was, that was then and this is now. I'm thinking more along, along the lines of 1800. Another thousand? Why, why should I pay you that? And I can't believe I had the balls to say this, but I said words to the effect of, I was nobody back then, but now... <laughs> And he went, mm, fair comment. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but honestly, that wasn't, I mean, it was a reasonable price, but it still wasn't very high. Uh, no, I, found yeah. out what da- I found out what David Whittaker got paid for the first one. Mm. Uh, it, it, I really didn't charge enough. But anyway. Yeah, so talk to us about some of the other projects that you're involved in even now that don't, uh, you know, mean that you're writing music. Oh, wow. Um, I've concentrated fairly heavily on, um, of late, over the last few years, of looking back retrospectively and where people have said, oh, you know, I really like listening to uh, Colony Wars and Crazy Ivan and all these other tracks. Uh, or uh, essentially albums, I guess, but games. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can I get them? You know, are they available? And, and the answer is, well, they're sort of swimming around the internet, but the original recordings, and some of them are at 38 kilohertz. 
Um, so just because of the way the PlayStation works. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm kind of in the process of remastering those. Um, also, like tracks that didn't quite make it. Um, so I'm I'm gradually working through all those old games uh, and popping those up onto Bandcamp, Spotify, and all the other you know, places you can buy or stream from. Um, so yeah, that's an ongoing backburner project. And then occasionally I will get gripped by flights of fancy and uh, just go off and do something mad. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going back to what, 2009, uh, I did Project Moon Bounce. I woke up one morning and thought, man, I know what I need to do for... Because I wanted to do an album, something that wasn't linked to a game, and I'd been wanting to do that for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a couple of albums out prior to that, but I hadn't had one out for a while that wasn't linked to a game. So, yeah, I want to bounce my music off the moon. Hmm. Uh, I think that's a good idea because that would bring into the fore my ham radio knowledge, um, helical antennas with circular polarization, you know, bounce the signal off the moon. And I had this idea of like a live gig where I would use the moon as an echo box. (laughs) So, you know, a delay line. And um, I might be reasonably clued up with radio, but I'm certainly not uh, clued up with astronomy because the moon moves quite a bit and fairly quickly. <laughs> so so, so there's, there's no way you're going to be getting a, a fixed, beep, a fixed uh, you know, BPM delay coming back from the moon. Um, so I thought, oh, okay, let's get a bit less ambitious. So I got in touch with um, a couple of people. One was a guy in the middle of the UK who had a huge dish in his back garden, a uh, satellite dish. So he was great. I went to his house. Didn't know him from Adam, but just sort of uh, ingratiated myself with him. And he thought it was quite funny. So uh, I just bounced all these sounds off the moon and we recorded the output. Wow. Well, well we, could, we couldn't record it there. We had to get in touch with some guys in, now, what the hell was it called? Uh, Wulonga, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, up in, again, I'm going to get this wrong. One of the Nordic countries. I apologize if you're from one of them. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think it was in Norway. Um, okay. and, and they have a crazy big dish. I mean, you know, proper um, research dish. Yeah. And they they received the recordings. Um, wow. So it, it was, yeah, I, honestly, when I think back to it, I think, you mad idiot. How the hell? <laughs> I was going to swear then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what possessed you and how did you even get it to happen? But it just goes to show if, you, if you're crazy enough and you'll get people to follow you, then you can, you can do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I nearly, I nearly segued into American politics then briefly, but I won't. Yeah, so that was that was one of my crazy projects. I've got a couple of those at my sleeve um, that I haven't sort of got underway yet. 
Okay. Um, I also, I don't know if you're aware of a band called The Art of Noise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gary Langan from The Art of Noise. Uh, I've become quite close friends with him. And I was going to get him to do some production work for me and maybe kind of link in that whole Art of, Art of Noise vibe. Um, so that's kind of like another thought process that, you know, we, 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 t we touched upon it oh, a few years ago, but that's always kind of at the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, uh, right now, um, aside from Pacer, like I say, I've got the, the, the dragging out all the old stuff that isn't out there in good enough quality. It's like the wipeout music. I, I, I remastered that at. I don't know, what was it, 192 kilohertz, 24-bit, just so that the, you know, sort of the best record, best recording was out there. So that was a bit overkill, but um, yeah. So, so, so that's kind of the vibe that I'm on at the moment. And I've, I've got a couple of side projects that aren't called Tim Wright or Cold Storage. There's, uh, if, you, if you look for Orange Goes Pop, um, okay. that's me as well. And there's a heavy kind of 80s meets computer game chip tuny kind of vibe going on there. Nice. And that was something that I really got into and then I had to stop for work and various other projects. But I think I need to go back and give that the, t the time it's due and finish it off. So, yeah, always, always got things on the boil. If there were seven of me and I was cloned, they'd all be done by now. In terms of the music for Pacer, there's definitely a heavy responsibility there. Um, and you can't please all the people all of the time. Yeah. So if I had approached it in the way that it was very wipeouty, and I'd gone back to look at how I'd composed, you know, the early wipeout songs and thought, yeah, okay, let's do those again. It would have, it wouldn't have inspired me. It would have been bit tiring and mm -hmm. it wouldn't have, it, I don't think it would have suited the game anyway. So my approach was really, you know, heavily considered. And I have to say when I was writing them, I got to about the third or fourth song and, um, I didn't know if they were good enough. I didn't know if it was going in the right direction. And what I find is it's a good idea to, at that point, stop and go away for a week and not listen to them at all. Hmm. Do something else, write anything else, even country and Western or whatever you want, <laughs> just get away from them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you come back to them after a week or two and you always hear something different and, and you can also with fresh ears go, ah, yeah, that bit's really good. But the thing that was making me feel it wasn't so good is that drum break there or that bass line is just the wrong sound. So it was very iterative. Um, but I, I listen to them now because they've been, they've been around for a little while. And 
The two that were written back in 2015, they definitely got a different flavor to the rest. Um, but I did, I did nip and tuck those a bit. So, you know, trying to... And which ones were sound. those? Uh, there was Sandstorm and R8 D8. If you listen to, yeah, like R2D2, but times four. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so if, if, you, if you listen to those two and then compare to the others, you'll see that there is a different, a bit of a different vibe, but they were both, well, they, those two and the rest were definitely written with Pacer in mind. The other thing is if you listen to the other music that's on the game, uh, you know, it, it's it's definitely a leap and a bound away from the other stuff that's on there, which is good, I think. I think it's uh, it gives people choice um, and it also means that everybody's got their own kind of space on the on the virtual stage. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm I, I would I would I would finish by saying I'm really happy with what I've done, I think. Uh, I can certainly hear some some remixes uh, that I'd like to do, um, you know, Fun. some of these tracks. So, you know, they still excite me to that level. Nice. And um, yeah, I, I hope people like them. Yeah, if you if you check out the the Moonbounce album, that's uh, the, the driving force there was that I wanted to have, uh, as well as the Moonbounce sounds, was constrained kind of uh, settings for each of the tracks. So I think one of them's exclusively a dog bowl, a metal dog bowl, sampled, oh, filled with water, and so on. Uh, I I had a, a a woman said, "Oh, would you like this old?" Uh, sort of like Bon Tempe style organ for free. And I was like, yeah, my kid would love that. <laughs> so we had that at home and I thought, right, you're going to be one of the projects. So I sampled that. Um, another one was one of those electronic 200 in one projects, you know, where you can build a radio and a beeper and a metal detector or whatever. So yeah. I, I got that to make some weird sounds and um, even hit the base of it that was made out of cardboard for a kick drum. <laughs> so it's an it's an it's an interesting album, and the only other one I would suggest, if you haven't already, is the 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 last one I did called Chill Out. Which yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. In fact, I wouldn't mind you talking a little bit about that. Yeah, that that uh, that came out of an idea where I was because uh, I'm based in Switzerland. Yep. Uh, which I think some people may know. I've been here for about four years now, mm -hmm. and obviously go back to see the folks in the UK um, every sort of three or four months or it used to before COVID destroyed the world. Yeah. Um, so 
On one of those trips, it was really late at night. The flight was late. I jumped into the hire car, started driving along, um, and then thought uh, the radio was terrible. So I pulled over in a service station, set up my phone with Bluetooth, got myself a, a, co- a coffee, set off again, another sort of 45-minute drive to get to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. And partway there, it kind of went through all of my selected music and went into playing one of the Wipeout tracks, which is you know just happened to be in my phone. Yeah. I thought, oh, geez, I'm not listening to my music while I drive. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's not to say I don't like to listen to my music, you know. Sure. You, you, you love all of your children. That's yes. the way I see my music. So, yes. yeah, I'm driving along. The sun's setting, this music's playing, and I'm thinking, oh, imagine a chilled version of this, you know, similar kind of melody and everything, but to suit the the ambiance of where, how I'm driving now, the, the whole setting sun and, mm-hmm. you know, just a few cars on the road and headlights passing slowly. Ah, maybe that's got some merit. So that idea swam around in the back of my head for a while, and then I tried the concept out with a couple of the old tracks. And it, I thought, this is going to work. So, yeah, then there was a whole disaster of trying to get it on CD with artwork and everything else and trying to get Designers Republic involved and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go into that whole <laughs> debacle. It was a nightmare. And ultimately, it, it became just a digital release, um, but with some, some original artwork. And... Uh, yeah, but I was, I, I took my time with that. I really did. Uh, the music was written over a period of, oh, wow, I don't know, like three years maybe, mm, on and off, mm-hmm. maybe longer. And hmm. a lot of revisiting and remixing and throwing away and yada, yada. Um, but I, I gave it to one of my friends to listen to. It's a long album, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he said, I listened to it from start to finish. And he said, by the time I'd finished, I was just like so chilled out and mellow. Um, He said, uh, yeah, any more mellow and I would have fallen asleep. I said, oh, great. He goes, no, no, I mean it as a compliment. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm happy with that album. Thank you again. Really nice to chat with you, and um, I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime. Well, I hope so too, and I'll be checking out some of your podcasts. Thanks for listening to episode 141 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Tim Wright at patreon.com slash level and be sure to look up his extensive catalog on Bandcamp under his name, Cold Storage. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. 
You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.